0: Oh yeah, people in New Jersey, they would introduce themselves by saying what freeway exit they're off of.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, dude, that's, yeah. that's
1: worse than the, than the Michigan, like, MIT.
0: Yeah, I, ne- I never saw you do that in Michigan. I think everyone knows where Ann Arbor is. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Because we've looked at an electoral map of Michigan. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like the bright blue dot right there. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's been a while.
1: I mean, what, two months?
0: I guess we owe our valuable four listeners an apology. I mean, you know, it just, <laughs> I was going to say, we don't really have an excuse other than life being life, but, you know, what matters is that we're here now, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think we, we've always made it quite clear that, that we don't release on a schedule. And in general, I don't release anything that I do online on any kind of schedule for that reason. I think it's too easy to get sort of held up in those kinds of cycles, you know. You got to attend to life first.
0: Yeah, and if we do an episode and it's terrible, we just won't release it because we're not on schedule. Yeah. We do it for the people,
1: <laughs> is what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And that might be this um, episode. If you're hearing this, then everything went right. But, you know, it's very possible that all of this is just uh, going to go down a technological black hole. So we'll see. <laughs> How's your um, 2023 been so far? Good, good. The main thing that's on the horizon is that, is that I have an audition coming up um, Hell yeah. in March. So just sort of preparing for that.
0: Do you care to fill us in a bit on the audition? What kind
1: of audition it is, or would you rather not? Sure, sure. Not no, say. I'm I'm happy to. Okay, um, it's an audition for the Jacobs School of Music where we went. I've 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 heard of this place. I am <laughs> vaguely aware. I yeah, it's for the I think it's called the Historical Performance Institute within the Jacobs School of Music. I think it used the to be called the, the Hippie Institute. There you go, and there yeah, are a bunch yeah, of hippies there over there. So <laughs> <laughs> but, it's not wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> These baroque violinists and stuff. Yeah, it's
1: it's really the only place in classical music we'll see like you know about two earrings per person. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's for like the performance diploma program in in uh, baroque flute and, and traverso. So yeah, yeah, that's that's exciting. I'm hoping this this works out because as as I've talked about a little bit before, I've been getting into playing the baroque flute, and I I really love it. It's quickly become something that I enjoy more than playing my modern flute, quite frankly. Love it, and I've been taking lessons with the the professor at IU, Kathy Stewart, and that's been going really well. And uh, it's really something that I enjoy. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a good chance to maybe get playing with people and like actually make connections in this world because um, the early music world is is a little bit separate from from like the rest of the music industry. Yeah, I always I roll my eyes and laugh when
0: they call it early music, right? <laughs> it's like when I first heard early music, I assume like. Antiquity music, like ancient right. Greece, Pythagoras, like, oh, yeah, that's early music. Yeah, Like, by the time um, this early music came along, like, Baroque music, Western music was thousands of years
1: old. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, call this early. But I, I understand. I mean, it's hard to put a title on anything in the first place. Think it's, I think mean,
1: it's like a point of contention, right? I mean, what is early music? I mean, is it the generally accepted thing? Is it as pre-Baroque music? So, hmm. like, Renaissance, okay. medieval everything roman before that <laughs> <was yeah, it? laughs> roman music <laughs> augustine music yeah. I to think but oh, i think that's like the generally accepted thing for early music but because you also do like baroque music with like historically an instruments and stuff mm-hmm. like that i think some people also say that early music is more of like a like an attitude than it is a specific time period so no i
0: mean it's funny because we've talked about this before right but how we call you know schoenberg music Modern music. It's <laughs> well over 100 years old.
1: It's not. Yeah. What do you have to play on your audition? So I'm going to be playing uh, the E minor fantasy by, by Georg Philipp Telman. Another piece by um, this French guy, uh, it's just a sonata by him, and his name is uh, Michel Blavé. Okay. Um, he's relatively unknown outside of the Baroque music world, I think. Um, he was a flute player himself, he was a very good flute player, supposedly. And um, the sonatas, I think, are really beautiful. Um, some of them are, like, sort of really weird and kind of dark, for lack of a better word, but the one that I'm playing is, is beautiful and, you know, it's full of lush melodies. It's very open and charming.
0: Dude, ever play jazz flute stuff? No. No. You totally should. I think, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just think it gets broke juices going. And playing broke music gets jazz juices going. Yeah. You know, because there's quite a bit of overlap with improvisation and jamming and, like, finding the groove, finding all the stuff that's not on the paper. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Just a thought. Just a thought. And, dude, there's, like, room. If I could sell you on two things. There is definitely room out there for jazz flutists, I think. Because when it's done well, it's so awesome. But rarely, anyone never—not only rarely does someone ever do it well, but people just don't even try. Hmm. Uh, but I think jazz can definitely be a flute thing. And then there's also room for a great woodwind quintet. You know, there's been great brass quintets, and it, like that's been done. And so now the brass trend is more towards like different kinds of brass ensembles. But you think of the brass quintets, You yeah, have, of course, Canadian brass quintet. Yeah, Empire Brass, American brass quintet, and stuff quintets—I can't like name one, but <laughs> there totally should be.
1: Yeah, I, I, it, it is interesting that you say that. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why there hasn't really been one that's that's sort of like in the in the public imagination so much. I personally have never really loved the sound of a wind quintet. I, I think it's a bit odd. I wonder if a lot of people sort of tacitly agree with that. I, I think like the, there's something about the sound that doesn't quite work together as well as a brass quintet. I love brass quintets. That's, that's interesting. Um, that's interesting. Brass instruments they have like a homogeneity that's they're all kind of like the same instrument just like with slightly different methods whereas like a flute and a clarinet and an oboe are like kind of fundamentally different things and then you throw like the horn in there and then it's like what are we doing with that yeah um, right right
0: and yeah no i, I yeah. see what you're saying like give me a french horn or a trombone and two hours and i could get a decent sound <laughs> it. yeah yeah right exactly yeah you know if I gave you a clarinet or bassoon, yeah, yeah I, that's not, not going to happen, right? Because yeah. they're just completely different animals. Where like brass instruments, it's all the same. It's a similar foundational idea that's behind each one, right? Which I think is
1: awesome. That, that's like one of my favorite <laughs> things about brass instruments. Like I've always been fascinated by that.
0: Yeah, it's a long tube that has two holes. One you blow in and one, you know, that air comes out of. And you either have valves or slides that change the length of the tubing.
1: That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. Right? The physics of it is, is like very upfront and clear whereas you know on like a clarinet it's like what what are we doing here this is (laughs) totally totally yeah okay
0: that's fair yeah because i always wondered i mean because i love like woodwind sound i love like woodwind section sounds and orchestras Mm. and things i you know i think that's so awesome and as a brass player we sit right behind the winds usually so i have when i'm tacit in a movement (laughs) of something i'll just like follow along yeah maybe i shouldn't say this but yeah no i follow along (laughs) with like their sheet music from behind them you know and and stuff and yeah no i just find it like you know, it's like the little free show that's like right in front of me. Yeah. You know, in the context of the big orchestra. So are you violating yeah. one of your
1: own rules for rehearsals? I guess not. No, because I... no one knows no one will know you're behind them. So Exactly. <laughs> but they know now, that's the
0: thing. <laughs> um Dude, you know what it's all about? Saxophone quintets. Oh dude. If I can end anything in the world, even before like hunger or poverty, it'd be saxophone quintets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sign me up for that crusade. <laughs> I love jazz saxophone. Don't get me wrong. I love, like Stan Getz, Charlie Parker, Coltrane. Those are some of my favorite humans ever. But maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot here. But
1: no, dude. Maybe we'll cut this. But no, I'm I'm so. actually right there with you. I I think, and I should I should say, like to make a difference here. I, I mean, there are there's some amazing like classical saxophone players. Like, like dude, and but saxophone is
0: also like the easiest wind instrument. Like, <laughs> yeah, even saxophone players
1: admit this. Yeah, like, yeah, it's... right. You you can shred on a saxophone in a way that you just would not be able to on on like more sort of badly designed shall we say instruments yeah Uh, the sax the the violin is is a
0: terribly designed instrument like ergonomically it's awful yeah for you i mean that's why violins always have injuries where the saxophone i don't know if you've ever held one it just kind of like fits in your hand so nicely
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean it's the most recent instrument in in a sense so it's the most recent like common practice instrument let's say right Uh, yeah I, i don't i don't mean to like besmirch anyone who's like a saxophone player but the instrument is not it's it's fake it's It's fake it's fake it's fake uh, you'll always hear this like a like a recording of like you know the bach italian concerto for saxophone quartet and it's like what are we doing here this is it just doesn't do it for me Um. I don't know about you, but there's certain instruments that I just reject tonally. Mm-hmm. I mean, the piccolo is actually one of them. I don't, I really yeah. do not enjoy the piccolo at all. Yeah. And and like yeah. soprano sax, I've always yeah. hated. Yeah, actually. yeah, <laughs> most saxophones in in any context that's not jazz it just doesn't yeah. do it for me. Oh man, I'm the first to love like Stan Getz's
0: smoky, After Hours, 2 a.m. jazz club tone. Sure, like, oh, that's one of my favorite things in the world, right? Yeah, hundred percent on vinyl too. If you, oh yeah, yeah, that's dude, great. Signing um, up for that, yeah. used to joke back at school, the definition of an optimist is a classical saxophonist with a pager. pager? <laughs> like, you know, who hires these people? <laughs> Except if you're playing pictures or something.
1: So we're going to say saxophones overrated? Is, that, is that what <laughs> That's right, that's right. Oh, I forgot about that game.
0: Yeah, okay. To be continued. We had an idea for today's episode to kind of kick off the year and get things rolling. The idea is Shreda and I have each selected three things in the realm of classical music that we have changed our mind on. Forgive me ending a sentence in a preposition, but (laughs) it is, uh, (laughs) I think you'd agree,
1: right? Changing your mind is a sign of intelligence, not a sign of weakness. Yeah. May you live the kind of life where you are perpetually embarrassed and mortified by what you thought five years ago. Yes. Love it. Love it. I will lead us off. Cool. All right. So the
0: first piece or the first thing I changed my mind on, and I have to admit, I changed my mind on this like pretty recently, only in the past few months or the past month maybe because I'm performing it. Hmm. <laughs> so like many pieces, you hear it, you think one thing, but then you actually rehearse it, perform it, and you gain more respect for it. Or maybe you gain less respect for it. But This is one where I always thought it was very overrated, overplayed, just kind of lame and boring. Um, and that is the ballet Rodeo. By Aaron Copeland.
2: Hmm. Wait, is it is it just
1: rodeo or is it is it in French? Everywhere I've ever heard always says rodeo. Oh. Because I've been talking like a hit calling it rodeo my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) I've performed rodeo yet?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Maybe this also ties into like my views of Aaron Copeland. Like I used to think he was in general pretty overrated and I just didn't like a lot of his music. And with Rodeo, especially the hoedown movement, the very last one, it's, I it was always using those beef commercials in the 90s in the US. <laughs> do, you, yeah. do you know what I'm talking about? I do I don't know what heard. you're talking about, okay. yeah.
1: Even you've heard those, okay, yeah. yeah. Beef, it's so what's for dinner, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I think I know, I think I've heard it because you sent this to me. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah.
2: hard for kids to understand that you don't have all day to fix dinner i'm starving but that doesn't mean you can't whip up a meal that seems like you had all day thanks (laughs) very funny beef (laughs) it's what's for dinner
0: so it's a very famous piece of music but no like so now playing it performing it rehearsing it and all this stuff it's like oh like actually being in the fabric of the piece it's it's actually kind of cool and kind of a fun piece to play. Um, what's really cool is that is that there's three trumpet parts, all three of which are completely different. You know, so it's one of those where you really are the only one in the orchestra playing your part. And hmm. it's you know, count your rests very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> even just the trumpet parts when the fabric of them is kind of weaved together it it creates a really kind of cool sound um and Aaron Copland knew his counterpoint knew his harmonies knew his structure knew his music theory I guess uh you know he studied with Nadia Boulanger in Paris so I used to really hate the piece and a lot of things by Aaron Copland now I'm thinking it's pretty good which is a big change (laughs) for me
1: (laughs) yeah I, I don't have an opinion about Rodeo slash Rodeo, but in general with Copeland, I, I would agree with you that, that uh, he's someone that I've always had a lot of respect for, but he's never someone I go to. But I've never performed anything by him, so maybe yeah. that really is the thing. Yeah.
0: Well, what's also interesting about Copeland is he was good friends with Leonard Bernstein, right? Yeah. And in my head, that like never made sense. Because <laughs> <laughs> at, at least on a professional level, on a personal level, yeah, I'm sure any two humans can be friends yeah. sometimes. But, yeah. but like... I just thought their approaches to music was entirely different in their approach to American music. You know, a lot of times I think composers, especially not nationalistic composers, but composers who captured the sound and identity of a people or a country or a nation, hmm. they can kind of be grouped into, into two categories, right? You have urban composers and like rural composers, <laughs> right? Yeah, like countryside yeah. composers. Like Bernstein and Gershwin, I think of very urban composers, very New York composers. <laughs> Copland's anything but. You think of his music, you think of the Great American Plains, you think of the Grand Canyon, and even um, parts of Rodeo, right? It's just in my head, you, when I'm playing it, I have to smile because I can just hear in my head, saddle up, we're headed west, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But like Bernstein and Copeland were really close friends. Bernstein championed Copeland's music a lot, premiered a lot of it with the New York Philharmonic and always would invite him on stage for some of the young people's concerts he did. So I always kind of wondered in my head like, Lenny, what did you see in this dude?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I think they they had quite an interesting relationship because I think Bernstein tells stories about how he would bring his compositions to Copland and Copland would sort of give him, you know, his constructive criticism of it, saying like, oh, this is warmed over Scriabin or this is, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, this is just Mm -hmm. derivative Stravinsky or something like that. I don't know what he would say. But um, so I think there was like a mentor-mentee relationship there where Copland was mentoring Bernstein as a composer. And then obviously Bernstein became... You know who he is, who he was and and blew up and and then I think maybe the tables turned a little bit, and then it was Co- it was Bernstein, like you were saying, you know premiering Copeland's works and championing it on the on the sort of you know large platform that he had as a conductor of the New York Philharmonic and then later on you know just the sort of international right. <laughs> right. you know man of music <laughs> that he became that's always been something that's fascinating to me and um I'm always curious about how the how the interpersonal dynamics sort of played out in that you know yeah. And I know I touched upon this a little bit, but yeah, what
0: kind of was the point where my opinion changed was, yeah, just sitting in the trumpet section, like with the way he writes for three very independent trumpet parts is he can get a sound out of a section of just three trumpet players that sounds completely different, unique, and just very rich and such, Uh, like even just the kind of polyrhythmic parts where... Two trumpets are in unison on this measure, but then on this beat, they're in harmony. Then one trumpet player, the first trumpet player rests for a measure, and the third trumpet player is playing. And, you know, the the net total is ends up being something that's that I'd never really noticed, actually, until I was playing it. And, yeah, just the way he was able to write for these brass parts and playing it, I was like, oh, okay. Okay, maybe I'll eat my words a, a little bit on this. This is actually pretty interesting, well-written music. So
1: yeah it's it's always interesting when there there's a class of composer that that is just so fun to play i mean there's there's two different things going on here. There's some composers that aren't that fun to listen to, but they're quite fun to play um, <laughs> and then there's some composers who you who you gain an appreciation of after you've sort of played it and studied it and and sort of sat with it in in a real in, intimate way rather than just hearing recordings or going to a concert you know and I always found that quite interesting and it's one of the reasons why I'm actually quite adamant about music education even though I myself don't like teaching. Um, <laughs> think it's You don't like, like a, students, I, I think is, is the... Yes, yes, <laughs> don't, I don't like students, yeah. A particular kind of student too. Yeah, yeah which, which happens to be most of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but a lot of music is, is best appreciated from the inside, right? Mm. Uh, the music that I end up liking the most is the music that I end up playing, and, or at least having played once and then now I have sort of uh, an appreciation of it from the inside that doesn't go away and and i think it it's really hard to like i i can't imagine being someone who's like into classical music without ever having played it i, I mean i know those people exist and and respect it, that's great but mm. i would find it really hard and kind of in a, in a way sort of weirdly abstract to not be able to to sort of understand something in a tactile way that 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 you yeah. really that you, you can really get to when you when you perform something sure and i think so much of classical music is is better appreciated that way at least for me so yeah. i've always found that interesting yeah
0: it's fair. It's fair. Um, cool. Cool.
1: Anyways, there's um
0: "Rodeo" by Aaron Copeland. Properly rated, I will say now. It used to be uh, <laughs> overrated, but I'll say yeah. properly rated. <laughs> so, so you're not moving the dial all the way to underrated, but uh, even I wouldn't go that far. But yeah, any shift in that dial is a big accomplishment. <laughs>
1: My thing was is very similar, which is the recordings that you appreciate of pieces, you know, before and after you've played the piece. I don't know if you've ever found this happening. It's it's a, it's a another very similar thing where before you've ever played a piece, you can be listening to recordings and, and you'll have like, you know, the list of your favorite ones. And then for me, for some reason, pretty much 100 percent of the time, once I start playing the piece, my preferred recording changes because I understand something about the piece that's different from the inside now. And it's usually one that I did like less, you know. Gotcha. But in general, the, the thing is is changing your mind after playing a piece. I see, I see. That's like the, the tag. Okay. Um, There's recordings I always liked and maybe like more,
0: you know, after I've actually played it. Like mm-hmm. I think of the Mitsuko Uchida recordings of the Mozart sonatas, the mm-hmm. Mozart piano sonatas. I realized like after playing the piece, she found she found kind of like lines, like musical lines kind of hidden in the texture of the piece that I would never have thought to bring out, but she was able to kind of do it.
1: My sense of music is very connected to playing music. I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever feel that way. Sure. So, sure, so, yeah. so I think like a, a lot of stuff like changes in my in my brain, like once I start playing a piece because that's mostly how I appreciate music by playing it yeah. more than listening to it. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. You want to shoot me yeah. with another one? So my next one is a performer. He's a trumpet player. That is
0: Wynton Marcellus. Ah. I used to think maybe I was more in high school, he was okay. You know <laughs> and I guess over the past 10, 15 years, I realized like how much of a, how much of an anomaly he is as a musician and a human and how incredible he is. So yeah, my usual answer was back in the days, yeah, he's good, but there's other people I'd rather listen to. And maybe that's still part of what I would say in the jazz realm, especially. But the more I like, I've just been alive and have been in the music world and such, like man, is he just an impressive human and maybe just like his current style of jazz and and his current recordings aren't what, again, I guess not what I naturally gravitate towards. But boy, like what he has accomplished as a musician and a trumpet player is insane. Because he started off as a classical trumpet player and, you know, won all the Grammys and stuff and, re- and put out some landmark recordings. He did recording, well, one of his first big things was uh, recording with the Eastman Wind Ensemble of like all these famous cornet solos that are like on the back of the Arben's method book that all trumpet players play. And he just performed them at a caliber like few ever have even achieved. Mm-hmm. So then there was that. And then he put out all these, he re- recorded like the entire classical trumpet repertoire, both like the classic concertos, like the Haydn and Hummel and stuff. Then also all the classical trumpet music written in the past hundred years, at least like the major stuff, like the sonatas and things of more modern classical music and just totally shredded that. And it's such a landmark Recording and then, then he shifted over to playing jazz and he joined Art uh, Art Blakey, the legendary jazz percussionist drummer. He joined his group and just like became an incredible jazz player. And then single-handedly started jazz at Lincoln Center. <laughs> he just said, "You know what? You know what would be cool is if we did this," and he just made it happen. You know, and that's like one of the greatest artistic institutions now in the United States. So all the things he's done for education and not just the trumpet world, but just. The artistic world—he just has added so much, and I didn't appreciate that, I guess, back in my teenage years.
1: Sure, sure. I mean, I think that's that's something that's common amongst youngsters to not necessarily appreciate the sort of breadth of someone's work. Uh, he, he's also a composer, right? Like, doesn't he have something yeah. called like the the Swing Symphony or something? Yeah.
0: Yeah, which he premiered with the Berlin Philharmonic. Why I don't yeah. know. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> Berlin just doesn't do that. But no, but it, it's a it's a cool piece. said this before. I mean, he can he can pick up his phone and call the president. <laughs> no, I mean, I can't even you know, another trumpet player, flute player, pianist. I mean, that's just like to reach that level of society is so hard. <laughs> yeah. My old trumpet player Joey on his podcast that he runs with a few trumpet guys, which is a, a lot of fun to listen to and stuff. Hmm. They do this segment every here and there where they um they name a, a trumpet player and they have to identify and agree basically how famous they are. And the <laughs> levels are just like famous, there's trumpet famous, there is regionally famous, and then there's local cat. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That is good. And what's that guy's name in New York? The trumpet. Oh, I always forget his name. But Tony Cadlick. Tony Cadlick. Hmm. Yeah, he's a phenomenal trumpet player. He's almost like the first phone number people call in New York for anything. Hmm. Like if you've watched any award show, be it the Tonys, any of that stuff that's in New York, he's always in the pit orchestra. He's on the on recording scene they're like crazy he's in all the broadway show pit he's he's a phenomenal player no one outside the new york new jersey area <laughs> it, even in the trumpet world knows who he is like <laughs> so he's a local cat or what it he's a local um, cat yeah but then you know wit marcellus is famous you know and they kind of like go through this whole um you know they talk about trumpet players that are trumpet famous that everyone in the, in the trumpet world knows but people outside the, the trumpet world don't Hmm. And the whole point they kind of say then is these are all phenomenal musicians. These are all great players. The level of fame isn't always correlated to.
1: Often it's inversely yeah. correlated to.
0: Right. Sure, sure.
1: Not in the case of Marcel's, but yeah. But not in the case of Winton. Yeah yeah. 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 In the case of Lizzo, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, in terms of her flute playing ability, that's for sure. I have something kind of similar. The person, the performer, is Yo-Yo Ma. Oh, there you go. And, um... Yeah, I, I never, I never thought, I never like hated him, but I think when I was a kid, I just sort of thought he was, he was like a, a famous cellist and and kind of mm-hmm. nothing offensive, obviously, and mm-hmm. but also nothing very special. And the moment I started changing my mind about that was a few years ago now, when he released yet another recording of the Bach Cello Suites. Okay, uh, he's recorded them a fair bit now, and the first recording is, I mean, can I say it's pretty mediocre. It's,
0: I think you just did, yeah. I yeah, I just did, yeah. Yeah, it makes
1: sense if he re-recorded it. You That's to, true, yeah. He's re-recorded it a few times, so I think I think maybe I can dis on the first one yeah. pretty pretty safely. I th- I'm pretty sure I've heard him somewhere criticizing his own first recording too as like a young man's recording that was like not terribly sort of insightful musically. But I mean, obviously the playing is phenomenal. Like he just, he lays it down. Right, there's, no, right. there's no problems with things like intonation or anything like that. It's just not... I guess I guess let's make it more precise. I thought this isn't something where it's immediately recognizable that this is yo playing when he was playing it. There was no idiosyncrasies in the sound or the phrasing, or there was nothing there that was uniquely like yo Ma, right? Yeah, and if I could add to that, that's a very
0: fair criticism, especially if it's a recording. If it's yeah. a live performance, it's bas- I think it's a little different. But like, if this is a recording, you recorded it and you and you decide to share it. You decided to permatize it and yeah. share it with the world. The fact that it's nothing new or interesting, you could argue maybe if that's true, but at least as a criticism, that's a fair critique, I think.
1: I do think that it's your duty if you're going to record something to at least make it somehow sort of significantly different, you know? Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I, I, I didn't really find that in, in a lot of his his early work, but I think he's... I, I don't know if I just had become more appreciative or if he's, like, kicked, kicked into a new gear... In hmm. the last, let's say, ten fifteen years, but for me now, he's like he's one of my favorite cellists to listen to, um, no, no matter what he's doing, and sure. he does a lot of different things too. Obviously, he does mostly classical stuff, but he does a lot of, like he does those like goat rodeo sessions with Chris Thiele, yeah. the mandolin player, um, Edgar Meyer, the bassist, and um, Stuart Duncan, I think, the the, the fiddle player. Did that uh Bossa Nova album too, Abrigado, I think it's called. Oh, okay. I didn't know that, yeah. That's I mean, really cool. Yeah, so he he does a fair amount of different stuff, but I'm I'm really just talking about his I mean I, I love the goat rodeo sessions as well, but yeah. I'm really just talking about his classical work, but I think he's kicked into a new gear, like I said. This most recent recording this most recent Bach Chell Suites recording mm. is really special, I think. You know, really? I hear okay. it and it sounds immediately like it's Yoyama and it's it's, it's a very it's, sort of recognizably different recording from other ones. It's it's a really special one. Thank you He must be sort of self aware of that in some way, too, because for the last um, several years now, he's been traveling around the world playing these cello suites yeah. in like crazy, beautiful locations, like not concert halls, right? Yeah, the Acropolis or whatever he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Everest Base Camp or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Um, or like
0: some. The village. Everest Concert Hall? <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. the, dude, the Mount Everest Philharmonic. Dude, a <laughs> man. <laughs>
1: They all have to play on like specially made instruments so that the altitude doesn't fuck it up. Oh, that's amazing! That's amazing. Yeah.
0: But you thought Aspen was hard, dude? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah.
1: The Mount Everest festival? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are no early musicians going down there. Going up there, <laughs> right. rather. Dude, I mean, again, Yo Yo Ma, he's famous. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's yeah, he's legit famous. Yeah, he's like an A yeah. or even yeah. just outside of music,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. He's not just cello famous or classical fame. No, he's famous. He yeah. he has tr- transcended from the classical music world and actually become a mascot for the human race.
1: Yeah. He seems like a lovely person, right? I mean, he seems to have his head on straight. From his public appearances, at least, he seems just like the sweetest, most humble, nice guy who's also a brilliant player. And yeah, he, he seems to care about, about sort of music, capital M, music for its own sake, but also music mm-hmm. as a sort of... Way to yeah. sort of communicate with people around yeah. the world, and and that's, that's that's something special too, you know. Yeah, no, a friend
0: of mine who's a violinist, I used to play with him here. So I'm telling this story he told me, but yeah, he ran into Yo-Yo Ma in Boston. That's where Yo-Yo Ma he went to Harvard and so you know he, he has ties to Boston and all that. And anyway, um, my friend Daniel apparently stopped him in the street and was like, "Hey, are you Yo-Yo Ma?" And Yo-Yo Ma was like not in the mood to like stop or chat <laughs> or anything, and he kind of like brushed it off. Until my friend Daniel said he, he's a violinist, and then, like, it totally changed. Then your mom's <laughs> like, oh, let's chat. Yeah, how's it going? <laughs> I think it's that's so interesting. Because I've seen this had, like, the calculus when someone says, hi to you in the street. When anyone says, hi to you in the street, whether it's, like, outside Trader Joe's or in the park, you're instantly, you gauge your reply based on, like, what you think the conversation's going to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are they selling me something? Are they, you know, who knows? But... I do think it's funny that he was in a hurry on a way to like rehearsal or something. But when a musician stopped him in the street, he,
1: he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll talk. That's really good. I'm not even famous, as you know. I'm barely a yeah. local cat. Yeah, um, that's, right. that's right. But, but even even i would become much more amenable to, to someone when they say that they're a musician, you know?
0: Yeah, um, yeah. No, I agree with what you say about Yo-Yo Ma, too. He seems like he's he's doing more than just playing his instrument. Yeah, yeah. Which at his level, he could just do that and be fine.
1: yeah. But, but the thing that i really have been appreciating recently is is that he's gotten to this to this level where like you say he could just coast on that but he's getting better i think like i'm hearing yeah. a play and i'm like oh this sounds really good i mean it yeah. always sounded <laughs> right, really good right. but now it sounds like it's different yeah it's it's an interesting thing when like when a musician who's like already world class like kicks it into another gear and you hear that and yoyoma i mean he has these uh you know obviously those those box tell suites that i said but he's been doing this project now where he's um recording Beethoven symphonies for for trio, oh, so he's right. doing them with um with Leonidas Kavakos. Is that how you say his name? The Kavakos. Uh, Kavakos. Like yeah, yeah. The, the Greek uh, violinist. Yeah, yeah. He's a Greek yeah, yeah. violinist. He's also a great violinist. He's 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 uh, incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Have you Have you seen
0: those early um recordings of him when he's like. Yeah. 15. Like, Dude, yeah. Playing
1: all, all that Paganini shit and just yeah, shredding yeah. it. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's a monster. He also has a wonderful recent recording of the Bach uh, Sonatas and Partidas for Solo Violin, and that was also oh, really nice. good. Okay. He's playing also with the pianist uh, Emmanuel Axe. I think they did five and six, maybe seven so far. Oh, that's interesting. So those are like really interesting arrangements, and the playing is wonderful, and I think it's so fresh and novel. I really appreciate it when someone gets to that level where they don't really need to necessarily work as hard on the music as they as they do, and then and then they still clearly are, and they're getting even better, and they're kicking right. it into a new gear. And on top of that, like doing interesting repertoire choices. I mean, yeah, sign me up for the Yo-Yo Ma fan club, right?
0: When you meet like the truly great world class musicians, I'm always surprised about how nice they are. Yeah, because and I figured it out one day. The reason they've gotten so good is in their head, they're not. All that great, they're still just trying to get better. Yeah, right. And it's the people that are maybe very good, not great, that can kind of be the, the douchebags, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the ones that are truly the great ones, I mean, they know that they still have work to do, and that's yeah. what maybe keeps them humble. I don't know. So, all right, good stuff. Yo Yo yeah. Ma. Oh, did you see Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel?
1: I did actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. was in that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> That, yeah, that was unexpected. I did not yeah. see that coming. <laughs> and I also love the uh, the Serena Williams cameo. That was also oh, really Oh, she's funny. in there too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right.
2: I'm going to Shazam it. What is that? Alexa, Shazam the song, please. Alexa, Shazam the song, please.
0: Hey, this is Bach's Little Fugue, in G Minor.
2: You sure? Yeah. Uh, I'm Shazamming it. Alexa, so Shazam
0: a fugue the song, please. Is a beautiful musical puzzle based on just one tune,
2: and when you layer this tune on top of
0: itself, it starts to change and turns into a beautiful new structure.
2: This can't Shazam, it's a lamp.
0: I have one more for us. Let me grab Okay, you're going to laugh. I do mean this partly tongue-in-cheek, but I'm not lying. This I actually did change my opinion on very strongly um, in the middle, like end of high school, I would say. Uh, And that is (laughs) Richard Strauss. Okay. (laughs) Because I thought okay there can only be one Strauss right <laughs> other than Levi Strauss <laughs> yeah. and,
2: I know where this and, is going.
0: <laughs> yeah I remember thinking I'm in this, or- this youth orchestra we have to play this music by Strauss I'm like oh seriously damn it I- this guy sucks like he just <laughs> writes a waltz you know like every here and there <laughs> It's really tedious and 20 minutes long yeah what's going on What Don Juan what is this shit I don't want to play this and, <laughs> and then I sit in a rehearsal I'm like, crap! This music's really good, <laughs> and then I realized Richard Strauss was a different person than Johann Strauss. We've so, all been there. Yeah. So my opinion changed very quickly when I realized I had a, I had an opinion of the wrong person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So how did um, that go down? Like, did you look up top and you saw the name and you it didn't it didn't gel? It was like, <laughs> yeah. So we're playing Don Juan, right? Epic, awesome, fantastic German romantic piece of music,
0: um, by Richard Strauss, <laughs> and. I think even at the top of the page, it just said R. Strauss, right? So it, it didn't even like, click to me that it wasn't Johann Strauss, the tedious Viennese composer from a century earlier, something like that. Something like maybe a half um, century. Yeah. And so we're playing it, and I'm like, wow, this piece, especially like the opening of Don Juan, that violin, like you hear violinist practice, <laughs> it's ass on every violin audition. Yeah. And so I'm like, wow, okay, this piece is really great. So I go home and look it up, and I like click on the Strauss guy. And I figure out. Oh wait, okay, he's German. He's not Austrian. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and I think on Wikipedia there is like an, even a line that says not to be confused with Johann Strauss, <laughs> Austrian Viennese <being his> composer. <laughs>
1: That's really funny.
0: And he's the one who wrote the Blue Danube Waltz and all the you know, which
1: is fine, but is it? It's like I'm I'm only, I'm only <laughs> happy with its yes. Yeah, Talk say that again. I'm only happy with its existence because of its role in 2001: A Space Odyssey. That's true, which also has Ricard Strauss's music in it. uh, It does, yeah. Yeah. Zarathustra. That's funny. I didn't even think about that.
0: Both Strauss' come to town. Yeah, yeah.
1: Fun fact. So I, I think in the opening, obviously he had in mind also *Sprach Zarathustra* as the as the music. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the spaceship scene, is it the docking scene that uh, happens while the Blue Danube waltz is playing? I Believe so. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was not planned because uh, he oh. was he was originally going to have he he was going to maybe pick some other music or maybe have someone compose something for that scene. But he just put the Danube waltz over it as like editing oh. or something. as like a filler thing and it worked really well, so he just kept it. Ah.
0: Yeah, yeah, they call that temp music in the biz. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. temp music, yeah. Ah, interesting.
0: Another interesting case of that. If I, could, I know, this is a huge tangent, but yeah. I love the scene in Schindler's List where you first meet Oscar Schindler at that like really elegant black tie Nazi party, because <laughs> um, it's the Port Unica Beza tango playing in the background, and Spielberg wanted John Williams to compose something specific for that, and I believe they used that as kind of like the temp music, oh. and. Tom Williams actually made the call. Like, actually, this works really well. Probably better than something I could write in the limited time frame we have to get this film out. So let's just use it. And that's one of my favorite scenes in that. That is a good film. scene. Yeah. Yeah. we yeah, got that, to call this episode
1: "Black Tie Nazi Party" now, though, right?
2: That's
0: right. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I, I do, I do love that scene. Just with like the music and like the the camera work that Spielberg has. You see, like Liam Neeson, like wearing the Nazi pin stuff, but you can tell he doesn't totally buy in. You can tell yeah. he. <laughs> He's not like totally on board with this whole Nazi thing. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Buddy, um, Black Tie Nazi Party is that? The... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're episode title fishing. Cancelled. I can't. We have, we have to cut that. <laughs>
1: but yeah. So anyway, um, Richard Strauss. Uh, I realized he's a different composer. My realization, for what it's worth, went the other way. I thought you know, there's there's Richard Strauss, who's a wonderful composer, but like so many like so many people, you know, it just wasn't making him any dough. So. He yeah. had a side gig where he wrote a bunch of shitty waltzes. And you know what? Respect, man. <laughs> you gotta Dude, gotta pay the bills, right? You gotta pay the bills. <laughs> so when you I found out that he was a totally different person, I was a little bit disappointed actually. Because I, I like the idea that there was this like this yeah, wonderful yeah. composer who's like, you know, able to write some of the best music ever and then just, you know, pumping out the shittiest waltzes from money. Yeah. Like I kinda I kinda like that image. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that in my head too, where he's just like scribbling it out and like hands it to. his assistant like over his shoulder all right right right. exactly yeah how many Okay, I have to do nine okay all right yeah (laughs) all right
1: let's get a new kitchen (laughs) (laughs) oh
0: that's so great yeah I could see that too where it's like oh yeah he writes these like symphonic masterpieces great works and then every here and there he has to write a shitty waltz so you know To to make up for his crappy premieres that he's having in Berlin.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right, right. He's like, okay, so this one's for my uh, Spanish vacation next summer. (laughs) Yeah,
0: always wanted to see Italy, you know, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's great. But yeah, no, um, Richard Strauss, he writes great stuff. Like, uh, you said like music that's particularly fun to play. A lot of Strauss's orchestral stuff falls into that category. It's just, you know, it's a 95-person orchestra you're playing in.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I also would bet that strauss is near near if not at the top of the list of composers who have the most amount of excerpts for the most different kinds of instruments oh that's funny because everybody has like hell licks from strauss that they have to play at at every audition
0: oh that's so true yeah
1: and that's pretty rare actually you know like there's not a lot of overlap between say um trumpet excerpts and flute excerpts but strauss is always there yeah (laughs) and And violin excerpts and low brass and Oh, that's a really good point. Every orchestral audition
0: ever for every instrument always has a Strauss section. Yeah. Right? What what flute um, excerpts are asked?
1: Um often it's um it's uh Till Eulenspiegel is asked. Yeah. Um Salome, yeah. um on the opera side also, like Rosen Cavalier is, is a total right. bitch to play. Um yeah. that's, that's hard like the for the every instrument, I'm I'm convinced. Yeah. That is just like a hard work to play yeah. as a whole. Yeah. Um yeah. Th- those are the ones that are like immediately come to mind but oftentimes in auditions you'll see like excerpts from don juan and it's the whole thing
0: (laughs) what's interesting too with strauss excerpts for for trumpet is if you're doing a second trumpet audition or a third trumpet audition often part of the audition is you sit with the current principal or assistant principal player and you actually play the second part for a lot of the strauss excerpts oh that's interesting yeah yeah
1: going to send us home yeah all right all right so um the last thing that i've changed my mind on in this list is um beethoven's even symphonies (laughs) i love it i love it so (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah so we'll put one and two aside so obviously as nine symphonies we'll put one and two aside because they're they're kind of they're really just like late Haydn symphonies okay um don't at me people but (laughs) um i mean they're, they're they're perfectly fine but but uh, let's say, let's go from three to nine, right? Okay. yep. Um, yeah, when
0: when you think of like the Beethoven symphonies, those are the ones.
1: Yeah, and I think most people would probably agree, maybe not, um, broadly speaking, that the odd symphonies are forward-looking and the even ones are backwards-looking. Yeah, so three yeah. is quite radical. Four is a very classical symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, five, again, is kind of radical. Six, very sort of classical and pleasant. Seven, again, like, uh, you know, pushing the boundaries and then eight reverts back to sort of high classicism. Mm-hmm. And then nine is obviously just bonkers. Nine is totally old school. It, yeah. is, <laughs> it is like conservative <laughs> as can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, That's so I used okay. to, I used to, and I think like a lot of young people probably, I think your, your instinct is to gravitate towards the odd symphonies because they're like, the, what do you think of Beethoven? You think of like the, the, the sort of power and the, yeah, yeah the epicness, the, the sort of grandeur of the forms, you know, in like three and seven. Um, and And five, two, uh, and then yeah. certainly nine, um, but you know in my in my ripening old age here <laughs> as i as I uh, shore up on thirty here and right. uh, basically get halfway to being dead, um, I find myself uh, enjoying more 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 and more the the even symphonies right the The more classical symphonies, uh, like four and six now are probably the ones that I go to the most often. Um, I mean, I always ahead. liked six. Yeah, I, I always six, really six liked is my one. favorite, man. So when people put out a Beethoven cycle, the first one I listen to is six, because I think you can tell wh- ah. how much the orchestra really understands about Beethoven by, by hearing their sixth symphony for me, yeah. at least, because that's the one where you, you have both the power that you need, you know, in, in right. certain moments, but, but there's a, a sort of a, a gallant way of playing, say, elegant way of playing Beethoven that I think a lot of people miss about Beethoven, right? Like, I, I think when mm. people think about Beethoven, they think of like the strong beats and the epicness again, right? The, the heaviness. But hmm. um, when someone plays Beethoven and it's, it's sort of wonderfully light and elegant, then I think, okay, there's something here now that's special, right? And then now you're really getting at the the heart of the sort of conflict with Beethoven. Eight, too. I mean, I I, I never really liked eight. I always hmm. thought eight was kind of a throwaway. And now it's like near the top of my list. I, I always love listening to eight. It's so fun. It gets overshadowed by nine, I think is what yeah, happens. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, a tough, tough one to be between seven and nine there. Yeah.
0: Have you listened to that that new Kirill Petrenko recording with Berlin doing the Beethoven cycle? I think came Not out yet. last year. It's really good.
1: Yeah. Nice. Do you have a go-to Beethoven cycle? Ooh, that's a good Or like good a couple version. that you
0: The Abada the one is good. Abada the Abada one is really. The one that has a like red cover, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's
1: actually two there's two Abada ones that he did in a short time period. So there's one from I think like the like 1999 or something. And that's okay. a that's a studio recording of the Berlin Philharmonic. Okay. Um, is that the one I'm talking about or is that a different no. one? No. So the okay. one that you're talking about is right after that. And he did a, a live recording series where they played in Rome, I think.
2: Yeah. And that was just a
1: year later. And I think within that year, I think they must've played it a lot while they were like recording it or something, or maybe they took it on tour. Cause I think in that year they, they kicked it into the next level and that live mm-hmm. recording cycle from the 2000, 2001, something like that from Rome. That one kicks ass. Okay. Okay. Love and it. And I think Love that's what it. you're thinking of how about yourself yeah i mean that one's that one's a go-to um it's hard to hard to go against the that iconic um carion cycle i forget which year it's from. true that one in terms of if we want epicness that's the one right um, right the thing about abato is that that one is very elegant and i love it though you know i, mm-hmm. I, I love how, how classical it is i guess to to go back to that have you heard recently um so there's this uh, i never know how to say his name i think it's Jordi Saval. he's like a spanish oh. uh viola de gamba player so he, he's like an early oh, interesting. musician and he's he's one of the he's you know one of humanity's treasures as far as i'm concerned because um in terms of being a sort of wonderful musician and scholar he records like really an ungodly amount of music and it's for uh, him. It's, okay. it's really good but um he has a an orchestra that that does beethoven and other people on on period instruments and i right think on. he's recently maybe completed or getting close to completing a cycle of beethoven's symphonies very cool um, okay. on period instruments and that's actually really good it really like the the sound is so interesting and everything just dances
0: There's that one repeat in Beethoven 7 in the first movement that you will hear a lot of people omit. Where is it? It's the part that's like... Yeah, the... You'll hear a lot of recordings where that repeat is omitted, and even like some old parts you might see it, like crossed off. Hmm. And I did some research into this. I'm like, yeah, why? Why was this the thing? And it all has to do with recording technology. If you play that repeat, it's barely too long to fit on one side of a record.
1: Oh shit! Really?
0: <laughs> yeah, vinyl records. Um, yeah, vinyl records is to blame for that repeat being. Yeah, so some of the older recordings, like maybe the Caron recording actually has that repeat Yeah, it cut. doesn't take that repeat. Yeah, Yeah. because because of records. <laughs>
1: uh, it's fascinating. Love it. Love it. So Beethoven,
0: go. overrated, underrated, properly rated? <laughs> I'm going to go...
1: Well, I'm going to say Beethoven probably proper, properly rated. But yeah. Beethoven's Even symphonies underrated. Underrated. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Glad we sorted that one out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I've always had the theory of Beethoven where I think
0: what makes Beethoven so like incredible was he lost the ability to self-edit right Hmm. because you know you play something or forget that even just i think anyone can relate to this you present something at work or whatever it sounded great in your head it looked great in your mind then you put it on paper and you actually presented it and saw it in person and you're like crap yeah that was a bad idea (laughs) and so beethoven he would hear all these melodies in his head or compose things in his head write it down go into the concert hall to listen to it and hear nothing (laughs) <laughs> right, So what we actually see in the product of Beethoven is a direct stream from a composer's mind without any real-world considerations, alterations, yeah. edits, and that sort of thing. So it's unpolluted by, by the real world in an in- interesting way. I think
1: that's a really good point, and I think that's why a lot of the late works, like some of the late string quartets, are deeply weird, and they're enduringly weird, right? Yeah. It's, not, it's uh. not weird in the way that some people who are very avant-garde are weird, and then music catches up, you know, and, and they seem less weird now in retrospect because, like, other people started composing like that. Like, some of the late string quartets are just, they're enduringly weird because most people compose, like you say, with a feedback loop, and his compositions became abstract in a way that uh, compositions often don't. Yeah, And, yeah, I think that's why they have, a, they have a weirdness that will last forever.
0: An actual glimpse into the mind of a genius. Yeah, it's a clear yeah. image of it. Thank you.